Courtside Moms. I'm your host, Wendy Sparks. Today's episode is with Michelle Riddick, the mother of Damian Lee of the Golden State Warriors. So sit back and listen up as she tells their story. I do it naturally. I do it naturally, baby. Baby. Thank you, Michelle, so much for coming on Courtside Moms and for wanting to share both your and Damien's road to professional basketball. So tell me, when and where did Damien's basketball journey begin? Hmm. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you, Damien's basketball journey, Hmm. when he was little, Damien actually played basketball. You know, like we're from Long Island originally. So there you play multiple sports. So he played basketball when he was like eight or nine, but it's more like in like a, a youth league. It wasn't really serious. So I mm-hmm. signed him to play basketball, but he really played football. That was his serious sport. So from the age mm-hmm. of five to 14, he played football, organized football. And he was really good at football. So I always thought he would be a football player. If anyone had told me that my son was going to go to college on a basketball scholarship at an early age, I would have been like, nah, that's not happening. He's, going to, he's probably going to be a football player because he was really good at football. So by the time he was, by the time we moved to Maryland, so he moved to Maryland, he was about 10, no, about 11 turning 12. So that's going into sixth grade. He started playing basketball more and still played at the YMCA. But once he turned 13, he actually joined the AAU team. So that's when he started playing more on a serious level. So he joined the AAU team at 13. And then he started playing basketball seriously. So I would say probably 13, because before there was more just like play, like you learn to play basketball. Mm-hmm. You play with groups, you know, youth groups, you do organized games, but it's not really serious. So when he came here to Maryland, kids here, they take basketball seriously. They've been playing since they were five, six, seven, eight years old. Right. So he was kind of a late bloomer. So he said that you are the one who taught him how to shoot a basketball and that you are his biggest influence. So tell me, mom, did you used to play ball? I played volleyball, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes, <laughs> awesome. I did. Athletic family. All right. Yes, I did. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your sentence. No, I didn't play basketball. When I was, when I was in school, we had English teacher's name was Mr. Gill and he wanted me to play basketball because back then I'm five, eight back then that was considered tall, you know, in the Mm eighties. So um, (laughs) he asked me if I would play basketball and I said, okay, I'll play for one week. He he begged me just try for one week. I said, okay, I'll try for one week. He said, if you don't like it, then you don't have to play anymore. I played for one week. I didn't like it because I don't like people sweating on me. So I didn't do well with basketball because, you know, basketball, they sweat and Mm -hmm. it was just too much for me. And then people, their body odors. So basketball and I didn't work out, but I played volleyball. So I taught Damien how to play because that little bit of time that I played basketball, I learned how to shoot. So I knew how to shoot the basketball. Okay. So So he could literally say... That's yeah, funny. He can, so he can say I got it from my mama. All right. He, he can, because I would take him, I would actually take him to the YMCA and I would teach, I would teach him how to shoot basketball. 
Okay. So tell us, what was Damien like as a child? Oh, wow, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> Damien as a child. Damien was clumsy. No. <laughs> to be truthfully honest, <laughs> Damien was clumsy as a child. That was one thing he was. Um, he was a sweet, he was a sweet boy. He was a very sweet boy. Very, um, he, had, he had compassion. He still does. Very caring, sensitive, also stubborn. You know, he wanted things his way and very loving. Yeah, I would say he had, he had very good qualities, you know, and he, and he was competitive. Yeah. Yes. Well, he mentioned uh, that his family is very important to him. And he references you, of course, his aunts, cousins, and his grandparents. So in which way do you feel that your family life contributed to his off the court and then on the court? I think the cohesiveness, the closeness of us as a family contributed to it. Um, he learned how to love. He learned to, you know, he was nurtured. Mm -hmm. um, and he learned how to depend on people from having a close family. He knew no matter what happened when he was playing, um, and whatever happened in life that we're always going to be there for each other. Cause even now, so like my sister is actually his godmother. He also, my best friend is his godmother too. But when he was, um, christened, he had two godmothers, my sister and my, and my best friend, um, Vanessa. So he's just le always learned the value of family. So he knows that someone's always going to be there to hold him accountable as well. Um, tell him when he's right, when he's wrong, hold him, hold him up when he needs it you know, to pick him up, you know, care for him, right. you know, and then he knows that he can trust you. So if something's going wrong in his life and he needs to talk to someone, he knows he has someone there to trust and to yes. talk to. Right. Um, his, my dad and him were very close. Now I've been a nurse for 27 years now. And there were times I had to work on the weekend and my mother wasn't available to watch him. And my dad would take him for me on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And he was spent out with my father and they were close and they had that, that special bond that they had. And unfortunately my dad passed away when, um, in 2000, 2003. So Damien was 10 turning 11 that August of 2003. And then my son had a close relationship with my mother. My mother kind of became his confidant as he, as he was growing up. And unfortunately my mom passed away in, um, 2011. Okay. So, what morals did you implement in your son when he was a young and impressionable teenage boy? The morals would be just to be, to be really a good person, mm -hmm. you know, and to, and to do the right thing. So if you do something wrong, you really, and I really, I've always stressed to him, you have to be accountable. And mm -hmm. when something happens and you do something wrong, you have to, you have to admit it, whether you, whether you like it or not. So one thing I've always, I've always, I say, expressed to him, and we've always had conversations about, you know, a man is only as good as his word. And my dad always taught us that. So he's like, it doesn't matter who you are and who you're with. If someone tells you something and then they don't do what they said they're going to do, then you, it's hard to trust them. Right. It's hard to trust and it's hard to believe them. And another thing is, as a man, you have to look another man in their eye. So I've always taught Damien, you have to look someone in the eye, whether you're right or wrong. And I remember there was a time, Damien was in ninth grade, and he got in trouble. 
he did something so silly and it was three of them. And the detention counselor said, um, out of all the young men, it was, like I said, three boys got in trouble. He said, out of all the young men, he said, Damien looked him in his eye when they had the conversation yeah. and he apologized. And he said he appreciated that because he can tell Damien was being sincere Yeah, by looking, yeah, by looking him in the eye. And that's something that's important. So, and I think that's sometimes that's missing in this world because we're so quick to blame someone else or to not take ownership for for what we do. Mm -hmm. And it it doesn't help you because you're never going to learn. You don't learn from your mistakes if you don't own up to them. Yeah, it's very important. As I speak with uh, many moms and players, basketball seemed to be a release or um, an out from many life issues. How do you think Damien views the sport that he is now professionally playing? I think he loves the sport. And I know for him, like when my mom passed away, I know that was out for him. And out, you know, I know it was a release. It was a way for him just to get away. It was his sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Because at the time when my mom passed away, it was it was like a it was during the time we were trying to figure out where he was going to go to school. And he didn't actually commit yet. And she literally, no, she didn't. She passed away on the day he had a tournament. Aww. So um, I had to go. My mom passed away that morning and I had to go to the game. And the game happened to be in New York City. And my, we lived in Long Island. We're from Long Island. So I was home in Long Island. And um, he had a game in New York City. And I went there and I went to the game, sat through the whole game. He had no idea that my mom, that his grandmother, my mother had just passed away. And after the game, I, I had to tell him, you know, so he then had to use that as, you know, as his escape from reality, you know, why he dealt with his grandmother, you know, passing away. So I know it's his refuge. It's a place where he just, you know, sometimes life isn't going well. It's just a place he can be, you know, they can just get away from the realities of the world. You know, even for you as a mom, and you just lost your mom that same morning, and here you're sitting at a basketball court supporting your son. I mean, that is so touching to hear. I, I can't even imagine that. You'd be amazed at what you can do for the love of your child, because mm-hmm. I knew if I wasn't there at that game, and I was a few minutes late, and my my best friend was there with her husband, and a couple of coaches that were there, they were like, game is looking for you. And then once I got there, he looked up. He was like, okay, he was, he was calm because I was there. It's like, yeah. I was wondering where you were. But it's like, and my mom was at hosp- in hospice at that time. Um, so it's like, but it's like, you know what you have to do for your child. That's right. So you pull it all together. You do what, well, like any mother would. You do what, what you have to do for your, for your child at that moment in time. And yeah. for those two hours when he was playing the game in basketball, you like, like, even like you said, for me, it was a time that it was like, okay, he's playing basketball. So my mind was focused on him. Right. Yeah. Right. So he went to Calvert High School College and then he went to St. Thomas More. So let's talk about the schools then. Yes. Calvert High School. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Calvert Hall first. We love Calvert Hall. Mm. Yes. Um, Calvert Hall was a great um, high school. So Damien's story about going to Calvert Hall and going to St. Thomas More. So Damien went to Calvert Hall and he graduated from Calvert Hall. The reason why Damien went to St. Thomas More Prep School is he had, he had signed a letter to go to 
Towson, and this is this is a funny, well, it's not a funny story, but it's, well, it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> um, it's funny to me sometimes. Um, Damien <laughs> signed signed a letter um, of commitment to go to Towson University. My son signed his letter when he was he was sixteen or seven, just turned seventeen. Seventeen, yeah. So Damien graduated high school at seventeen. He has a late birthday. So he signed the letter to go to school. So it gets closer and closer. And at the time he signed the letter, he was, I want to go. And I was like, I don't really think you should sign this letter. And he was just so adamant about it. And I'm like, I don't really think it's a good, a good, you know, decision. But like I told you, there's times he's stubborn. Yeah. He was stubborn and he wanted to sign it. But I did read the letter close enough. And now the NCAA, it's it's now something that's in the letter that it doesn't apply. There's one little piece that doesn't apply anymore. But um, it says if you're not accepted into the school, basically you can get out of your letter of intent, right? Right. So he signed the letter and I was like, well, they're never going to get his information because he's not going to, you know, basically, you know, um, we're not going to apply to the school. So I'm like, this boy is like, I really don't think this is a good idea. It's the only school that had offered him a scholarship. So all his friends had signed letters and he felt like basically, you know, he wanted to go there. So as time went on, I was like, do you really want to go there? He's like, I don't really want to go there, Ma. I don't know where I want to go to school. And then, you know, time kept going on. And then the coach was going to get fired from that school, the head coach. So as time went on, it was like, this is not a good um, scenario. So I had conversations with other people. And I forget, I had a conversation with one of his AU coaches. And um, his AAU coach said something to me that really made a lot of sense. I said, well, Damien signed this letter to go. We haven't filled out the application process. So technically, you know, we can still get out this letter of intent for him to go to, you know, to the college. And as we had the conversation, he said to me, Michelle, I don't think Damien's ready to go to school. I think he's going to get lost. And I said, well, how's he going to get lost? He's going to know where the classes are. I mean, yeah. he's going to have a schedule. We all been to college. They tell you, they tell you how to get around the campus. And I'm like, how yeah. do you get lost? He looked and he goes, no, Michelle, I don't think he's going to get lost physically. I think mentally he's not ready. He needs another year. He's like, he's a really smart kid. And we know academically he's good because my son's grades were fine to get them college. They're like, it's a maturity level thing. He's 17 and a half. He needs that extra year. He should probably go to prep school. So I thought about it and I was like, I don't know. And I thought about it some more, had a little more conversation with some other people. And we were like, okay, so that's how we want to be St. Thomas More. We looked at some prep schools, had a couple of conversations. We wound up talking to Coach Quinn, who's at St. Thomas More. Mm -hmm. It was a great fit for Damien. Like we said, it wasn't academics. He was academically eligible to go to any college he wanted to. His SAT scores were fine. He had over 3.0 grade point average. It was the fact that was he going to mentally be able to do what needed to be done to be a Division I college athlete? Right. He, was, he wasn't there mentally. So when he got to St. Thomas More, it was a blessing. He would get up and they told him what, what, what he could like, how the, um, Coach Moore told him everything was structured. And it uh -huh. was up to Damien to decide. Coach Jerry's like, how it's structured. It's up to you to decide what you want to do. 
And Damon decided he was going to do the voluntary work at that six o'clock in the morning. He was going to do this. He was going to do that. He was going to do everything that was voluntary. And that's what he did. And it made him such a better, it improved his basketball game, but it made him a better student. So when he, so when he went to college, it was just easier. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense, right? Because you, you have to be there mentally first to understand where you're going. Right. Um, so later he committed to Drexel University. Describe that process behind choosing um, that school. All right, the process behind choosing Drexel was interesting because he had, he had at that time, he had several schools that had wanted him. Maybe he counted like, we had, we had several schools that had wanted him at that point. Mm-hmm. And then he narrowed it down to three. So his final three were LaSalle, Northeastern, and Drexel. So LaSalle's in Philly, just like Drexel. And then Northeastern's in Boston. So he didn't exactly know because he had decided that this, see, at this point he had more information and he had decided he wanted to go to a school that was in a small city. The year before, he had no idea he wanted to go to school, where he wanted to go to school. He didn't know what kind of community he wanted to be in, what he wanted his next four years to look like. Now he had more information. He was ready to make that decision of what he wanted his college years to look like, which is something, you know, we need to think about as parents when we're deciding what we want to do with our children. Mm-hmm. So he had, now he had more information. He knew what he wanted. So he decided um, between these three. And what made him pick Drexel overall was when coach, the coach that was there, which was James Bruiser, we call, they call him Coach Brew. He's now at um, Indiana as an assistant coach. Coach Brew told him, he, I tell all my students this, whether they're going to um, play in the league, they're going to play basketball, they're going to graduate and then want to go to grad school. Be ready so you don't have to get ready. Mm-hmm. So he's like, even when it comes time to go to grad school, if you know you want to go to grad school, don't get all C's. You need to get B's. So when it comes time to go to grad school, you don't take anything over again. You're ready. He yeah. also didn't promise my son anything. He told him you had to work for everything you're going to get here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and that, and that to us was good. You don't have to promise him anything. He was going to have to work for what he had. And that was important to us. Yeah. And the other thing was, and, and I, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to say in a way that would offend anyone. He was a strong black man. Amen. And, and I was like, okay, I like Brew. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was going to tell you like it was and you liked it or you didn't. Yeah. So that's those what, are the, huh? That's what, that's what our young black boys need. Yeah. And, and at that point, in that point in my life, in that point in my son's life, he needed somebody to tell him like it was and like yeah. it is. So that's what he needed at that point. And we went with that because that was the best situation for him. It was in a small city. Someone was going to tell him like it was. They weren't going to promise him a dad won't thing because other schools had promised him, you're going to start. We're going to start you in the lineup. We're going to do this. Now, he did want him starting all four years, but he was never promised to start all four years. He had to work his way to start. Mm-hmm. but other people were promising him out the gate. And Damien said to me, Ma, I didn't deserve, I don't deserve anything to start. I haven't proved myself anywhere. So how can these coaches be telling me I'm going to start and I haven't done anything? Wow. Yeah. And that goes to the values that he was instilled by his family, which right. is why I had asked you earlier about the influence that your, your, your parents had on him as well as the aunts and the cousins. You know what I mean? He realized that 
right. I, I, they're not going to give it to me. I have to earn like everybody else. And 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 good for him because that speaks to who he is today, right? Yeah, because we, I mean, we believe in hard work. No, nothing comes easy. You have, you have to work hard for it. Yeah. You know what? If it comes too easy, sometimes we just don't appreciate it the way we would as, you know what I mean? If we had to work and grind for it. So. It's so true. So Drexel University, he was freshman, at his freshman year, he was uh, the CAA Rookie of the Year. And yes. then by his third season, he tore his ACL. So he had to sit out the rest of the year and redshirt actually his junior year. Yes. I can only imagine his disappointment of not being able to play. I mean, you get this hungry, hungry player, right? So what did he do to keep busy during these games that he couldn't play? During these games, well, I tell you, he, um, I will, I will tell you this real quick, just to toot his horn real quick. He was also all American <laughs> as a freshman, but <laughs> Amen. yes. And he was the all tournament, but anyway, um, but, um, to keep, it's funny to keep busy in the beginning when he first tore his ACL. Oh my goodness. It was like, first you had the rehab period. Cause he didn't just tear his ACL. He tore his MCL too. Oh yeah. So that's six weeks of no weight bearing. So mm-hmm. that was just a, a nightmare in itself. So that was horrible. And, um, you know, you have the surgery, you do the rehab. And then he sat on the bench and he just began to basically soak up everything that was going on. He was like another coach on the bench. He (laughs) soaked up every single thing. He's calling out plays on the bench. He's talking (laughs) it like he's in the huddle. Like what? Like he's just soaking up every single thing that's going on. You know what I mean? So it's like, he would be talking about, he would talk to me about, so you see what they did, mom? They should have ran. I'm like, wow. So he said to me, he's like, I'm taking this time now. That was after, you know, all the, after you get all the initial shock, the hurt, the sadness, the depression, yeah. everything that came with it, you know, then he's like, all right, I, I got to figure out what I'm going to do now. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, make the best of it, which is just learn as much of the game as I possibly can while I'm going through this. Right. And that's what he did. He just learned the game, learned the game. You never know. Maybe he'll be uh, his future career after the NBA. Maybe he'll be coaching a team. Who knows? Who knows? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He, he's all, he was also um, during his playing time and non-playing time. He's also all academic. Um, right. Yeah. Yes. Child as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, he graduated from Drexel and yes. he had, he still had one year of eligibility left. So he went to University of Louisville. And at that time, according to ESPN, he was considered to be the top transfer in college basketball. So why Louisville? And how did that school change his life? Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you, all right. So during that time, um, if you go between ESPN and it was another Bleach Report, I think the other one, if I'm not mistaken, I remember exactly the other ones, two, two, between my son and Sterling Gibb, who would be the one and two top transfers in the country during that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, why do you pick Louisville? It was, it's funny because I've been through the whole, with my son, we've been through the whole recruiting gamut from someone not being wanted, you know, as far as like not no one recruiting you to being a, hmm, like having a, somewhat being recruited to being sought after by every single college in the United States at division one, should I say? Um, 
So when it came time to pick, it was like overwhelming. And we really had to weed out where was the best place to go. So he narrowed it down to five. And my memory serves me correct. It was Maryland, Arizona. I want to say Marquette, mm-hmm. Louisville, and Gonzaga. Yep, it was those. So um, Louisville wound up winning out. First of all, you have Coach Rick Pitino, who is a Hall of Fame coach. And then his coaching staff, he had a very good coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So we looked at all of that. Louisville's rich in tradition, it's, and it's a good school. And Louisville in general is just really, once you get to go there, it's just a nice place. Mm-hmm. When we went for our visit, <clears throat> we did visit Arizona, and I enjoyed our visit to Arizona. He had visited um, Marquette without me, and we did visit the Arizona, and I did like Arizona. We did the visit to Louisville, and I just can't, ex- I just fell in love with Louisville when I went there. It was like the people, they, um, they love, they love their, their sports, and they love their basketball. Yeah. Yeah, it's something like I've never seen before. They, they love, they love their sports, especially when you come from a place like, you know, I come from a place like New York, where I do, where there's how many, there's so many professional teams. And then he's playing in Philly, where there's five, there's six Division One schools in there, plus their professional teams. So you go to a place where Louisville, where there's no professional, there's no professional teams in Kentucky, not one. So then Louisville is Louisville, that's it. And then University of Kentucky. So that state is Kentucky basketball, Louisville basketball, Kentucky football, Louisville football you know, the sports wise, you know, as far as that goes. So it's just a place like none other. And the people are so kind and loving when it comes to like, like the way they embrace their athletes. Yeah. And, um, and, and I say, and the coaching staff is just so wonderful. And then it's, you know, so I just can't even express like the feeling that we had when we got there. So it, it was kind of like a no brainer, really. You know, it's, it's funny we say that because you're reminding me of when my son and I um, had to choose schools as well. And he mm-hmm. went um, to New Mexico, Florida, and then UNLV. Right. And I didn't go, I didn't go to the New Mexico or the Florida um, ones. And he kept mm-hmm. calling me, this is where I'm going. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I said, okay. And I said, I'm going to meet you in Vegas. And I met him right. in Vegas. And within 10 minutes of the, of the visit, we were like, this is it. Right. And it's funny you say that because uh, Vegas, like Louisville, there is no professional sports. So mm-hmm. the players are treated there like, you know, I mean, like pros already and here they're NCAA players, right? So the love that they got, like, and I felt that when I was there. So you're just reminding me of, um, of our visits too. Right. So now Louisville, he was uh, their top scorer and the team ranked as the 13th best team in the country, but then things went sour when there was this ongoing sex scandal involving recruits between uh, 2010 and 14. So what was your reaction when you heard this story? I mean, my reaction when I initially heard it was like, huh? Like anybody's reaction was like, you know, disbelief, you know, and I still don't have all the information, you know, exactly what went on and didn't because my son was not there during that time. So we didn't come till 2015. Right. So, um, you 
know, it's, it's, I really don't know because like I said, we weren't there for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was one of them situations where we didn't get all the information about what happened during the time that was there because we weren't there. Um, as far as what happened with our team, you know, what happened happened. I, I wish things would have been differently. I wish their team would have got a chance to play in the tournament. I wish they would have had a chance to, you know, but it didn't happen that way. So you have to live with, you have to live with what happened. Cause there is no, there is no what ifs yeah. because what happened happened. Right. And the sanctions that the self-imposed bans that they gave themselves is what they did. So it's, it's, it's just, it's just what we live with. Yeah. You know, sure. yeah. I mean, I think the saddest part of it all was that the team was doing so well yeah. and they were, they just beat number one. They literally had just beat number one, North Carolina, like on that Monday or Tuesday, there was a Monday night game. And I was actually there for that Monday night game. And they had just beat the number one team in the country, which was North Carolina at home. And then a couple of days later, this happened. So it's heartbreaking. It really is. And it was, it was hard. It was hard as a mother, but I'm going to tell you what was harder for me as a mother. Like that was hard as a mother to go through that. I think the thing that was harder for me was to hear people that would say negative stuff in regards to my son and the other transfer student that was there, Trey Lewis, that would make comments like, well, that's what, because the two people that, that were transferred was my son and Trey Lewis, and they didn't get to make the tournament. And even worse than them being the self-ban was when people in the media would make comments like, well, good for them. They shouldn't have transferred. And it's like, these are two kids. These yeah. are two children at the end of the day. You know, they made the decision to transfer like any children make or any young adults make the decision to transfer. They did what they were supposed to do. Both of them, like I, Trey transferred and he graduated. My son did what he was supposed to do. He, he went to college for four years. His obligation was to go to Drexel for four years, which he completed his obligation. He graduated. Now he decides to do something else. It's the same way as if a coach decides to take another job. So for people then to feel like it's okay for you to say good for him, that's what he gets for transferring. I was like, that's just uncalled for because you're adults. You've yeah. lived your life. You made your decision. He's a child. People are cruel. Yeah. To, to, to me, that was even, to me, that was more hurtful than the self-imposed ban. I'm like, cause he'll be okay because everything happens for a reason. You know, it's like Romans 8:28 says all things, you know, work for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according mm-hmm. to his purpose. So mm-hmm. we're going to be okay because we're God's children. He's going to take care of us. Right. But we don't have to throw stones at the children at the same time and make comments like that about the kids. That's just uncalled for. So I would say that was probably more hurtful than even the whole ban at the end of the day. Because as mothers, when you hear people say negative stuff about your children, no, we can't go around and, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> rebuke everything somebody said. Go around and be like, right, why did you say that about my kids? And at the same time, you're like, why did you say that about my kids? Like, what was that really called for? Sometimes you got to hold it back a bit, eh? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, we, we do have, we have to hold it back because, you know, because we're not going to go around, you know, defending them constantly. But you do look at it sometimes, like, because I know Wendy, sometimes you'd be like, yep. really, did you have to say that? Like, yeah. what did you even call for? Yeah. And sometimes you're like, you didn't even know what you're talking about when you said that. <laughs> you know, Sometimes you're on social media and you see somebody say something about your child. You know what I mean? Sometimes I see it when they talk about Cam and I just want to respond. And I'm like, oh, I can't. 
You know what I mean? I can't respond. Right. I want to, but... But, and, and my thing is, it's one thing when a troll says something, that's fine. But it's another thing when, like, you're, you're a professional and you say something. It's kind of yeah. like, yeah, like when the talking heads say stuff, it's like, because my thing is, like, when they're children, they're children. When they're, when they're professional athletes, it's different. But when they're still in college, they're still amateurs. Yeah. Let's let them be children. Yeah, that's all. Ready. Yeah, they're not ready yeah. for adulthood yet, although they think they are, but they're not. So right, but they're not. Anyway. But you know what? Yeah, people are going to say words and, you know what I mean? The sticks and the stones are going to come and they hurt even when we're adults, right? So Right, right. And, and as adults, I think we're more equipped to handle it. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, it's when they're younger. It's like, let's let them be. They're still in college, even though they're 22, 23, just let them be, you know? Yeah. yeah. So now you're getting closer to um, draft time. So what were your and Damien's thoughts at that point about his chances to make it to the league? And, and how did you guys prepare? Well, I'll be honest. At this point, we knew kind of like the thought was if Damien had played in the tournament, I think it would have been a, a different scenario as far as draft night because he'd had more, a better chance to showcase himself because we all know how, how most of the time our draft goes. And and poor, poor kids are missing out on it this year because there was no there was no um, March Madness. Right. But a lot of times you get to play in March Madness, you and you do well in March Madness. A lot of times it helps your stock for draft. That's right. Unfortunately, with our situation, because of that, there was no way to help his stock for draft. I mean, he had played well. He had a good season. We were pretty sure he wasn't going to get drafted, and we were okay with that. We were okay with that. We knew what was going to happen. So what we decided to do, as I said to him, since we know you're not going to get drafted, let's just have a party. So what we're going to do is have a get-together, and we're going to celebrate you. So the get-together we had was a celebration for all his, uh, all his friends and his family and our friends and family who have supported us over the past you know, X amount of years we've been down here in Maryland. So we moved to Maryland in 2004. Okay. So we started this basketball scene, though, in 2006. <laughs> so it was based, everyone that's been around us since 2006 has been in the basketball circle with us, who has supported him in some way or not. Some were AAU coaches. His high school coach came, you know, Bristol, his high school coach at his wedding. We're still friendly with him. Everyone that's just, you know, has just shared love. So that's what we did. We had a get together and um, we watched the draft. It was a really, it was a really nice, it was a really nice get together. We had it at this place um, over in, um, it's in Maryland. You wouldn't know where it was. So I'll tell you. <laughs> I wouldn't. So <laughs> I'll just say, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, girl, we had it at this place in Maryland. You'd be like, oh, okay. Okay. Yes. So, Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, okay, I believe you. Look, I yeah, believe yeah. you. So we had this place. It was called, so what I did, I sent out these invitations. And what I said is let's celebrate Damien on the invitations and we had this place called uh 5485 it's in like in the in the double tree in columbia they have like you know like a reception like bar area and they had this yeah. private room so we had or we had hand hors d'oeuvres that were ha- that were um served and they had a tv in one area and then we had the whole bar of the um like cocktail bar area part mm-hmm. in that and we just hung out in both areas and we had it to, from 6 30 till the end and everyone just hung out and i had the or the invitation I had a big basketball on it and it just said let's celebrate damien and that's what that we did. Is, and everyone came out. That yeah, is yeah. such a fantastic way to celebrate. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yep, his trainer came, his training he had when he was 14 years old came out, 14, 15. Everyone just came out and just had a had a good time. Because see, Damien's a kid that he played freshman basketball at freshman. He couldn't dribble. He played he played <laughs> so, he played JV as a sophomore. He didn't play varsity until he was a junior in high school. Right. Yeah. He was the kid who couldn't dribble the ball. You know what I'm saying? So he's come a long way. Come on, mom. You taught him how to shoot. You didn't shoot him how to, you didn't show him how to dribble. I tried. He refused. This is what Damien would tell me. He'll tell you, if you ever hear him in an interview, because he, he does talk about this. He likes to say, my mother would tell me to dribble the ball and I would swear to her, I'm going to be a big man. And I'm like, Damien, you're not going to be six foot 10. Trust me. You're not going to be that tall. So he would constantly think he didn't have to dribble the ball. <laughs> it's like playing netball so <laughs> right exactly exactly yeah. well it was good that he was already in that mindset like your whole family you knew that he wasn't get drafted but he played in the summer league yes so how did that come about he played with the miami heat in the summer league how did that happen well he already had an agent because he already been at like he already went out and he you know he did the workouts like they all do you know okay they they get their agents and then they do the workout. So he had worked out for several teams, but we kind of knew even from the teams he worked out that it was a long shot. He was asking to get drafted, but we had an idea he was going to play in summer league. Someone was going to pick him up for a summer league. So um, he got picked up. He had a couple teams that wanted him for summer league and he wanted going with Miami. So he went with Miami and um, I think, I think one of the team I wanted him, but he wanted to go in Miami and he played there. And um, I went to summer league. Yeah, I went to summer league. It was good. Yeah, so that's how that's how that happened. And then then they cut him because they didn't want him yeah. for the team. <laughs> they didn't want him for the team. <laughs> yes, he didn't make the roster then. He didn't make the roster. No, he made the roster. But that's okay. And then he signed with the Celtics, and they waived him too. And then they put and then they um, put him on his, their um, G League. G League. T Y. I guess G League now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, it was the D League. You're right back then. Uh huh. <laughs> but then, while he was playing for the main uh, Red Claws, he tore his other ACL. Mm-hmm. Good lord! I mean, this was his second tier, and on the other side. So at this point, like, how did he handle this injury? Well, this injury, the second time around, was more devastating because he was literally mm-hmm. two weeks away from ten day call ups. Yeah. And he was averaging like 16 points. He was doing really good. And his agent was like, you know, it's, it's coming close. He's getting ready to get calls. Like people were, and they were noticing him. He was doing really well. And what happens? He tears his ACL. That one, and even if you talk to him about it, he's like, this was harder than the first one. Yeah. And there were times, yeah, and there were times we talked about it and it was harder. I know when it happened, you know, we talked before he had to wait like two weeks to have the surgery. We had to decide where gonna, where we had to figure out where we we're gonna have the surgery at too, because I remember he's no longer in college. <laughs> so you have to decide where you have the surgery at, where you not. If you do it in Boston or you do it up there, who's gonna help you because you're in the G League, right? Right. So you don't really have a house, apartment, you're staying in a hotel. So we had to figure that out as well. So he wound up, um, where do you go? And that's why it's important to have a good college town to figure out what you're going to do, right? Right. So where did we go? We went back to Louisville. (laughs) We went back to the L. Yes. (laughs) We went back to 
to U of L. Yes. Well, and, and yes. And Dr. Ellis did his surgery. We called him. We actually, we talked to coach, we talked to coach Patino and mm-hmm. um, Damien had a nice conversation with him mm-hmm. and we talked to some other people and then because he wanted some recommendations and right. he winded up going, he came back to, back to Louisville and we went to Louisville and I was there with him the day of surgery. And then Sidel, who was at that time, his girlfriend wanted to be his fiance is now his wife. She came the week later and took, I took care of him the first week. She was still in college and she took care of him the second week. It's good that he had that, uh, that, that care and that love, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and let me tell you, they took so care. They took, and the physical therapy department was great there where he went to go get his PT. They even did a shadow. They made a shadow box for him when he was done with physical therapy. And they put on the back of it, um, Damien, we have all the faith in the world in you. And we know that you will continue to succeed in life and do great things in the NBA. Best of luck. Wow. That's beautiful. Yes. So... so Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that, so that, so that was wonderful. So like I said, he got, he got through the second one. It was um, rough, but he got through it. Listen, he, that, that, that child of yours is full of perseverance, right? Yes. Well, well in college in why he didn't finish out when he was at Drexel, right? Mm-hmm. So his last year at Drexel, he didn't play in the tournament, like their last CAA tournament. Cause he broke his hand. So he broke his hand when they played against, they were playing against Northeastern and he broke his hand in the first part of the game and he mm-hmm. continued playing the game. He scored 30 points with a broken hand. Wow. <laughs> but he but he broke that same hand again this year, in, in November, during the season. Michelle. Mm-hmm. That's why he didn't play for three, why he didn't play for three weeks. <laughs> what are we going to do with your I thought you, oh, you didn't know that part. Well, go carry on with your mouth. But he, he's fine now, but he did but he didn't require surgery this time. He required surgery before he went to Louisville, he required surgery. That okay. was in April. That was in that was in before we were looking at schools, he required surgery. That was in March of twenty fifteen. And everybody mm-hmm. still wanted him. You know, they knew he broke his hand, they didn't care. Of course, because he has a talent. I mean, yeah. he's so good at what he does. And you know what? It's it's I, you you look at his stories and it's like he's very inspirational because he has this this love for the sport and he's like under the, yeah, yeah 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 and you look at these players that go through all these trials and you're like why why I mean it makes you stronger but sometimes it's like it's so unnecessary and here you have this 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 person who broken hand two tore ACLs and look where he's at yeah. So I know he later signed um, a 10-day contract with the with the Atlanta Hawks. Yes. And then they later signed him for the remainder of the season. So what was that like for him when he's like, I'm finally on an NBA team, not the G League? That was that was unreal because he had, like I so said, he came back from the ACL and he wound up signing. So when he came up from the ACL, him they they traded him from they did like a three-way trade thing and he wound up going to the Santa Cruz Warriors so he went out to Cali mm-hmm. and someone else traded went to the main red red claws so he played there and then they called him like I said Atlanta called him so when Atlanta called him he was ecstatic first of all he didn't get the phone call at first because he he was sleeping so his agent <laughs> called him again <laughs> so he, he got the phone call and um he called me all excited. I was like, oh my gosh. 
So I remember uh, the first game we watched on TV, and he actually played, and we couldn't believe it. It was uh, it was unreal. And I think it might have been his uh, his second game, his soon to be at that time it was his soon to be father in law. But Dell actually called the game, so that was so cool. Yeah, but we were excited for him. I got to actually go down there and see the game. So I'm for four day weekend. That was Easter right. of 2018 and went down to Atlanta and got to see him play. So I was excited to actually see your child play his first NBA. That's and it was it. actually their home game. So it was exciting to see your child play his first NBA home game. It was like, oh my gosh, this is so unreal. Um, that's the yeah. best feeling ever. It is. Because, it, you know, to see, to see your, you know how it is, Wendy, to see your children, mm-hmm. to see their dreams come true. So that's yeah. just like, you know, so he was so, um, you know, he was so happy. He was so excited. It was a great, um, you know, a great moment for him. It is. And, and it's a great moment for us, too, as moms, eh? Yes. I mean, I remember when I went to Cam's game uh, uh-huh. with the Magic, and you would have thought that I was a groupie. I was sitting there on the chair, like, oh my God, uh-huh. it's my son. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, okay. So right, but I was like all over the place. Like he would get up and I'm standing there and I'm clapping. I'm like, oh my gosh. And he was like, sit down, mom. <laughs> He's like, really, woman? I'm like, I'm so happy for you. So yeah, it is a, it is a, a it's quite the feeling. You know what I mean? You're, I remember sitting there watching him watch Jordan, you know what I mean, play on TV. I mean, who would have right. thought that, you know what I mean, years later, I'm going to be watching the same sport, the same league, and my child is playing, like, never. Right, right, and you're watching your kids, so it's, like, unbelievable. It was football, just like Damien, all football, so. Right. <laughs> Look, they have they have a lot of similarities. We're going to have to introduce them. Let me tell you, your story is so much Damian like knows, him. Um, I think Damien said he knows Ken. There you go. And they even have, like you said, the same middle name. So there you go. I know. That's, <laughs> That's the funny part. They have the same middle name, yeah. too. Yes. So moving forward to the Golden State Warriors. He signed um, first a two-way contract with them. Then he returns back to Santa Cruz. And then finally, now he has a multi-year contract, Mom. Your yes. baby patiently waited for this moment. How do you feel about this long overdue contract? Well, I will tell you, I am super excited for him. I will tell you um, real quick before we get into that. He he wrote, after the whole thing of going to Atlanta, he kind of summarized his whole situation with the um, the ACL, getting the call to Atlanta. Basically, he summarized his whole situation from November 13th, the first ACL tear on. He wrote an article for the Players' Tribune called No White Flags. If you guys get a chance, get a chance to check it out. Mm-hmm. Or the audience gets a chance to check it out. It is, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good article. Um, he just kind of talks about the perseverance, about having perseverance. But um, to answer your question, um, I feel I'm very happy for him. Yeah. I feel ecstatic. I am so thankful um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God that this day has come. I'm happy for him and all the hard work that he's put in. And to me, it's just a testament that, you know what, if you put in hard work, you persevere, you never give up, and you believe. Because a mm-hmm. lot of this at the end of the day is you got to have faith. 
you got to keep believing. See, when people tell you you're no good, you're not going to make it, you don't have the skill set, you're not smart enough, you know, you're not strong enough, you can't shoot, you can't run, whatever people tell you. I mean, it could be anything mm-hmm. in life that you can do it. You really can. Just keep working, keep pushing. And it doesn't really matter what people say. You have to believe in yourself because that's the most important thing. I mean, there were times in this in this journey when they had off said, you know, let's go to G League. He got offers to go play overseas. And I remember we offered to play overseas and he said he wanted to play here. Right. He said, no, I'm playing the G League because he goes, I believe I can play in the NBA. I'm going to play in the G League so people can keep seeing me. I'm going to stay here. And I remember somebody said to me, who's, who's been around a long time, he says, Damien has these offers. He can play overseas and make a lot of money. But you know what? I'm going to stick by him. You know why? Because he believes in himself. And he's, mm-hmm. betting, he's betting on him. He said, Damien's yep. betting on him. He's betting on himself. So if he's going to bet on himself, I'm going to bet with him. So wow. if he believes in himself, then I'm going to believe with him. So, you know, and that's the whole thing. He believes in himself. So important. And and that's and you just have to believe in yourself. So I'm just so thankful at the end of the day. I can't even, I can't even really put in the words just how thankful and grateful and just blessed we are because at the end of the day, our children get to play a sport that they love. Yeah. And I always and I've always told Damien, even when he was going to college and picking out what he wanted to do, like his major, and I was like, pick something that you love. So it feels like you're never working a day in your life. Yeah. You know, I watched an interview, and speaking of faith, mm-hmm. um, and it, he was saying that he believes in faith. And then he explains that faith is believing in something that you cannot physically see. And to me, that is such a great mindset to have. You know what I mean? Like he was saying, no, I believe in Damien. And like you said, it's it's so important because if you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to go as far. You know what I mean? Uh, if you don't really believe in yourself, it, it doesn't make sense when others are, are rooting for you and you're just being there. You're just there. You know what I mean? Just shy or just, yeah, it could happen where he's like, no, I'm going to be in the NBA. I'm not going to Russia. I'm staying right here and I'm going right. to get to the league. And that's where you're, that's where he is now. So good for him right he he faced so many difficult challenges throughout his basketball career going all the way back to college but he still pressed forward he fought very hard um to where he is today and it's obvious to me that his persistence and his determination comes from you so let's talk about your experience living through the injuries and the constant cuts and the trades like what kind of emotions have you experienced? Well, I'll tell you some of the things with the injuries, it's kind of like, I think sometimes like when he first was injured, I think I just went into nurse mode. I really do. (laughs) Sometimes I hate to say it. I go into like, all right, what do we have to do? All right, let's do it. You know what we have to do to get you you better. Come on, come on. Let's go into push mode, you know? (laughs) Yep. Got surgery lined up. After surgery, we got rehab. After this, you got to ice it. After this, you got to, you know, and I think sometimes I I go into like, boom, 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 boom. And then after a while, it gets to be like, it hits you. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. What is actually going on here? And it's emotional. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and it's emotionally draining. It really is. Yeah. When you, when you come down to earth, eh? When you see it, yes. like, like I'm actually living through this, but sometimes adrenaline takes in and we don't even see it. We're just moving. It is. Cause I, cause I remember when he first taught his ACL and I'll never forget this. And this is a prayer. I, I don't normally, this is a prayer. I don't, I don't pray. I did not pray normally. And I can't remember really praying it after that. I remember was at my sister's house in Long Island. This is when he first taught his ACL. My son always wanted to play in Mass Square Garden. And I remember him being four mm-hmm. years old. I took him to, to see University of Pitt play St. John's. They playing at Mass Square Garden. And so they take the thing. Oh, you know, they put the decal on for the state. I think it was called St. John's Red Storm back then, not the Red Men or whatever. So they okay. take the decal off the middle of the Mass Square Garden, off the logo, you know, the middle of the thing. Yeah. They take it off. And he looked at me. He goes, Mommy, I knew we were here. I knew we were at the Garden. I knew this is where the Knicks play. And I was like, yeah, we're here. He was so excited, right? He goes, can I touch the court? And I was like, and the security guard is standing like right there. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, can I touch it? And the security guard looks, he goes, yeah, he can touch it. And he shook his head. He said, yeah, he can touch it. So Damien runs over and he touches the little, you know, touches the Nixon logo and runs back, you know? Mm -hmm. He's like, I touched it. I touched it. And then the security guard goes, maybe you'll play here one day. I said, you might. So yeah. We played in NIT and we wanted playing against Rutgers at Rutgers. They win, and the next game is at Masquerade Garden. I said, Oh my gosh, Damon, you're going to play at Masquerade Garden. <laughs> you were four when you said this. And this is now it's 19. I mean, that was 2000 and uh, what, 13? You said this at four, right? Yep. So you're going to play at the Garden. I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm so excited for him, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a sister's house in Long Island. Get ready to go to the game. Wait for my sister to get home. And I had to go pick. We had to go stop at my aunt's house and then go over, then go to the game. I sit, kneel, I kneel down on my sister's couch and I pray. And I don't know what made me say this, but I prayed, Lord, you know, draw Damien closer to you. I don't know why I prayed that prayer. I never, it's a prayer I don't normally pray, whatever. I usually yeah. just say, God, let him have a good game. Let everybody be, you know, say da da da. I prayed that prayer. He tore his ACL at night. I said, God, that's not what I meant. <laughs> You're not listening. Yeah. I was like, that is not, that is not what I meant. I don't know why he chose that to happen. But I thought to myself later on, now, God, that's not what I meant when I said, Jordan close to you from Taz ACL. And, and Damien was playing really, they was playing at that time, I think, I don't know if they were like the fourth, fourth team of, or the number one team in the country, but mm-hmm. they were up, they were winning. Trexel was winning. Damon got hurt and they wound up losing, but they possibly would have won and upset them. Like they were playing that good. Damon was on a, a great trajectory. He was playing really well. Like he, like everything was lined up for him. Right. And I was like, oh goodness, what happened? But he still got to play there. Like he, you know what I mean? When he was four, he touched it and said, I want to play here. Right, you know right, I mean? right. He still got to yeah, he still I got know. to do it. So <laughs> he did. He did. He quoted and referring to you, he said, uh-huh. "If you knew everything that she did for me, you would want her as your mom too. She is literally my everything." To me, this speaks to a son's undying love and appreciation for his mama. Would you like to talk about the sacrifices you had to make along the way for him? Um, I guess Damien refers to, okay, so growing up, 
Once we moved to Maryland, Damien asked when we moved here. Um, I moved to Maryland. A couple of my girlfriends had moved here. And he says to me, I, I guess this is, this is a sacrifice. And this might sound crazy when you hear it. So I'm going to tell you. And some of you might be like, you did what for him? For your kid? So I moved to, I had a, a house built. I had a colonial house built when I moved to Maryland, right? Nice. So you have this home built. And my mom can't, my mom winds up coming like a year later because she had, had, my father already passed away and we had this house built. I had this house built and I'm, and had an in-law suite in the basement where my, where my mom lived in. So we're there like a good two years solid. Then it's time for Damien to go to high school. Well, Damien had went to middle school at like these like little middle school camps and they were held at the community college and this community college out where we were in Cecil County in Maryland. He would send, he would, people go to Cecil County to this community college and he wound up sending kids to Division One schools after that. Like to, you name the top schools. Like it was almost like a funnel. Like he had kids that couldn't get into schools, maybe with the grades, the SAT scores, whatever. But he had a great program. They wanted to go to like nice schools after they got done. You know, you go to two-year schools and after that you want to go to four-year college. Had to go to community college, right? So Damien would go to camp there. He's like, I see something in Damien. He's like, but if he goes to school here in Cecil County, he becomes a small fish in a big pond. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a big fish in a small mm-hmm. pond yeah. that might not be good. He might want to go to school out in Baltimore where he can, you know, be with other kids and it would like his chance to get like a scholarship, you know, to play basketball. So I was like, all right. So we wind up, so I wind up basically leaving the home that I built and renting the house out. And we go, we go rent a, 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 another house that we go rent an apartment out like in an apartment community. And okay. it, it was always, it was always a nice apartment community. We never lived anywhere bad. We always lived like in a luxury apartment community or something like that. But I would rent out the home that I custom built that wow. I picked out the, I picked out the bathrooms. <laughs> I picked out the floor. Like I picked out the floor, my hardwood floors. I picked out my granite countertops. I picked out every piece of that house that I wanted to be. And while Damien was in high school, I lived somewhere, we lived somewhere else, not in that house. But it wasn't the whole time we was in high school because the first two years of high school, I drove back and forth. So the first oh, two goodness. years I would, I took, I left my job, which was in, which was in Delaware, which was closer to where we, where we actually were, okay, which yeah. is like 20 minutes from the house. I left my job and I took a job out in Baltimore because it was closer to where he was going to go to school at. So I took a job working GI, which is going to be Monday through Friday, so I could drive him back home to school. So I sacrificed and got a different job so I could take him back home to school every day. Then it was days I would take him to school. I have to wait, do practice, whatever. My mom went and left the house that we were in and got a place out here in Baltimore so we could stay with her sometimes when we didn't feel like driving home or when I had to be on call. Yeah. Because there were times I had to be on call. And then I would drive back and forth. I would drive. We would get up at he get up at five thirty, leave the house by six fifteen, six 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 fifteen, take him to school, and then go to work. And I would come pick him up and then go back home. So that's mm-hmm. the reason I sacrificed it. I would drive him an hour. We drive like an hour and a half one way every day. So that went on for two years. Wow. So that was from ninth and tenth grade, and then tenth and eleventh grade. I left the house that I built to go live in an apartment somewhere. Like I said, we never lived anywhere bad in an apartment. We would be like a luxury apartment, a nice place or whatever. Um, 
first place he moved when he first moved out was like a, it was like a townhome. It was like a two, a two it was like an apartment place that had like a, a two story. It's not like a townhome that had two stories to it, so it had stairs to go up. Because yeah. I always wanted him to be comfortable. But I'm renting out the house that I built <clears throat> us to live in in Maryland so he can go to school, so he can be closer to his friends in school. Because at this point, now you're in 11th grade, you're 12th grade. So that's what he means. He's like, I made sacrifices for him. I made the wow. sacrifice of commuting. And then at one point, I made sacrifices moving. Wow. You know what? Sometimes we got to do what we got to do. It's just a house, right? Right, right. So people may be like, I have friends that were like, you are crazy. You leaving your house so your son can go to school where? Yeah. First, they used to be like, you're driving up and down the street. So you're, I was like, yeah, well, you got to do yes. what you got to do. The other yes. dude was like, you, I said, I can't do this commute anymore. And now, like, you know, once they start becoming like 15, 16, or 11th grade, they want to go to parties, they want to hang out with their friends. I'm like, I have to move closer because, yeah. I, we, you know, you just can't do the, well, I'm going to drive an hour and then wait three hours from to come out of a party. You know, we got to get closer so he can do more stuff with his friends. Right, right. And I was like, I remember what high school was like. I had a very active life in high school, social life. I don't want to deprive him of having an active social life because he lives so far away from his friends. So I was like, I'll just move so he can be closer. Wow. Yeah, so that's how, yeah, so that's how it started. And then eventually, I just sold my house, actually. Then eventually, I was like, so then it came to the point after a while, I was like, well, I moved back home. After my mom passed away, I moved back there for about three years. And then 2015, I moved from there for good. And I rented it out, and I just sold it. I just, I just sold it in February. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so after 16 years, I just sold it in February. So I moved back from about 2012 to 2015, and then I sold it, yeah. You know, it's, it's clear who was Damien's biggest supporter through it all. Who was yours? I would say my, I would say my family, really. Beautiful. Yeah, I would say my, my mom when she was alive. I would say my sister. I would say my, my sister's a big supporter. She, she does help me through a lot. And then I have, I have friends who are very supportive. You know, I have good girlfriends who are really supportive. Yeah. Listen, that helps a lot, man. Yeah, and I have friends that are non-basketball friends. Right, right. <laughs> non-basketball moms who, who have girls. Yeah. Yeah, who are really supportive. You know, we, we, we got to watch our circles, right? So it's good yeah. that you can have friends that are non-basketball, that are really friends, you know what I yes. mean? And not just the friends that come over when, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, they exist, so. They do, they <laughs> so do. If you had to look back in time, what do you wish you had known then about the ins and outs of becoming a professional basketball player? See, with my situation, I'm going to say, I'm thinking back when we were first getting into this, finding an agent, I did have people around me, though. Good. I, I was fortunate enough to, I was fortunate enough, because right, I remember when, he, when, when agents first started to approach us, I remember reaching out to people to ask questions. And I have to say, I've been very blessed to have a core group of people around me nice. um, and a core group of, of, of gentlemen that I trust. Right, right. That have, that have, I've been able to, even when we were going through the, I'm going to say this, even when we were going through looking for schools, even looking for grad schools, mm -hmm. I've had a few 
I'm going to say like they said, like the movie, a few good men. Yep. <laughs> I've had a few good men that I have in my corner that have been able to um, help me navigate the situation. Right, right. And the thing about the men that have been in my corner, they've been there to help and guide me. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to trust them because no one wants anything. Yeah. And and I know they don't want anything. So, so like, I've been fortunate enough. I thank God for that. I thank God that I've been fortunate enough to have them there when it came time to look for an agent. And when it came time to ask questions about stuff, have mm-hmm. I been burned about stuff? Yeah, we've all been burned about stuff. Of course. We've, of we've course. all made mistakes. We've all been yeah. like, yo. Yeah. I mean, and they're like, mm, so because you should have, you should have did so-and-so first before you did that. So I mean, so we've all we've all had issues where it's been like, ah, oh, I should have I should have went to you first before I did X, right. Y, and Z. But I but I usually reach out because you'd be amazed, and I've been amazed how small how small the world really is. Yeah, how everybody knows somebody in some way. You know, that is so true. Yeah, and everybody's connected in some in some way. Mm-hmm. So I would say getting into this as a mother, so as a mother, once you get into this whole thing, like you said, it'd be nice to have something set up where you're where you're able to sit down, like a mom one hundred and one. Yeah, absolutely. A mom one hundred and one class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that that, that's nice. actually a good thing. We need to talk about that later. Yeah, definitely. I, I yeah, think, yeah, I think mom, talk about that. Definitely. And I think yeah. the mom one on one class, I, and I've, I've, I've shared this, um, I've had this conversation before with someone, just like a general, just like a just general conversation, but it was like a mom one on one where you literally have the conversation to say, all right, your kids in the G League, this is what you do. Your kids in the NBA, not mm-hmm. so much as what you do, but this is what happens. So you're kind of prepared to be like, this is what happens to your kids in the NBA, this is what happens to your kids in the G League. Like I said, I, I happen to be in a good situation when it comes to that. Like I have a mentor for, for my kid being in the league. Okay. I mean, I have Sonia and she's been a blessing to me. So if I have a question, you know what I mean? Yeah. She's been, she's been in the game over 30 years. Yes. So, so I'm blessed in that way because um, when I do have a question, I ask her because a lot of stuff I don't know. I have no clue what's going on. Yeah. I, uh, what happens in the G League? What happens when you when you, when you go away? Because there's stuff that they don't tell you. They don't. Why would they we know? Right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And, and they don't. Yeah. For, they don't always give you the information. So you got to ask somebody like, what happens when this in this scenario? What do I do? Right. So you have to reach out and ask somebody. So I reach out and ask. So who do I contact for this? You know, what do I do for this? Yeah. So I'm. I'm I'm blessed in that way. Like even like an all star thing, I have to ask. So like, what do I ask somebody for this for? Yeah, because I don't know who to ask. Sometimes, yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that sometimes you just don't know who to ask, and and that's and that's a bad predicament to be in because then you sort of have to trust the people that are giving you that little bit of information, right? Right, and that's why you say like it would be nice if they had like a a mom a mom one hundred and one, and I kind of thought there might have been one. I mean, right. that might be not. not you will have to create that. it then, Michelle. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I honestly think that that would be like a great idea to create a mom one on one. So, I would I would say that's probably the one thing. If you ask for anything that we could have, or that would be nice to have, is a is a mom one on one, just to be like, hey, everybody, a quick reference guide to say these are the people to call 
if you need this, if you need that, if you need help with so-and-so, then, you know, we can kind of help you with X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually a fantastic idea. So tell me about your foundation, the Lee Way Foundation. What does it stand for and, and what is its purpose? Right, well, the Lee Way Foundation, it's, it's funny because now I wanted to start a nonprofit back when I was like 19 years old. I was wanting to start a nonprofit, thought about it. And then, you know, things happen and you just don't do it. So years go by and um, my son is at Louisville. He's in grad school getting ready to preparing to go to the draft at this point you know he's at some events actually that's some fundraise events during the kentucky derby during that time and he was interested in actually doing some things that youth because he cares about the youth as well and he's like i want to start a nonprofit." and i'm like really and i was like well that's something i always want to do so it's amazing like i've had a heart for children and my son has a heart for children so we decided we we're going to start a nonprofit together so in our nonprofit, like our focus expands beyond basketball. We use basketball as a tool to engage children. So we want to make a positive impact on children's lives no matter where they are. So we're trying to help them navigate whatever things that they're going through in life. So a lot of times you use the sport to get, to get the young people engaged. So they see that he's the basketball player. And that's something that is like, oh, wow, you know, that's amazing to them or they want to know how to become good at this. And then once they see that, then they begin to have a conversation with him and they see it's, he's deeper, like it's more than just being a basketball player. Yeah. So for instance, the thing we did in Oakland, um, and he also spoke to some kids in Baltimore back in April, um, towards the end of April. So what we did in Oakland in May for Mental Health Month is he talks to children, he explains to them like, things happened to him when he was a children as well. So it kind of helps to peel back the onion, the layers of an onion. And he breaks, but he pulls back the layers of his life and then shows the children, like someone believed in me. That's right. why I am who I am. So the goal is to have young people realize like all you need is someone to believe in you and statistics and statistics show, because our, our target group is sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Like that's mm -hmm. our target group. And we will follow some children as they go on, you know, to graduate high school and go to college. But that's the age we target because it shows if someone just believes in that child during that time, one person, then you'd be amazed that it'll change them to, to do something else, to be positive. If someone believes in them in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, kids are so used to someone telling them something negative and that's all they, they hear. And then they start to believe what yeah. they're hearing. So they need someone to speak a positive word into them to breathe life into them. So with Damien, he just enjoys, he just enjoys spending time with the youth. He enjoys speaking with them. He enjoys telling them about his personal experience and he enjoys giving back. It's so beautiful what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're giving these children hope. And it's a platform for them to realize if you work hard, anything is possible. Um, yes. So many kids don't know that. They don't understand when they see a, a professional athlete in front of them. They don't understand that, you know, he, this person was once like them, just a, a normal child and running on the street and hanging out, you know, with their friends and doing normal stuff. They just took it to a different level. And a lot of people just don't get that 
they're just human and you can do it too if you work hard. I mean, nothing is usually given to you. So work hard and do what you have to do. So platforms like what you're doing is perfect because you're giving people hope. So for me, I just said big congratulations on your not-for-profit. It's, it's for me, I love not-for-profits. They're so meaningful. Yes, because I, cause I, I, I agree with what you're saying because it's all about creating the nurturing environment mm -hmm. because we're not saying to everyone, you need to be an athlete. We're saying whatever you want to do, be the best at it. Right. So if you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, a school teacher, if you want to be a welder, because school is not for everyone, and that's something we have to realize as well. Someone may not want to go to college. They may want to do a trade. But be the best at whatever it is that you want to be and have confidence in yourself. So how do we build our young people when sometimes they're being teared down, when they're being torn down at home, mm -hmm. or they're being torn down by their peers? They're being bullied. How do we help them? How do we teach our kids the basic things that sometimes they're not getting? You know, you'd be amazed at things that um, young people just don't know that we take for granted because we were taught that in the house. Someone taught us that, someone taught us something in the home. We know what, we know what to do when we get out in public and they don't know what to do. It's just many things that um, I think young people need that we don't realize. And sometimes it's not even about throwing money at them. It's really about investing time that's right. And you'd be amazed how you spend an hour with, with a young person and how that hour means a lot. Or you sow, you sow some seed, like some words into them. Right. You know, we had a conversation with a young lady the other day and I told her a story about something that happened to me when I was in seventh grade and it resonated with her. And she was like, wow. So you don't know how something that happened with you may help somebody else. So, right. you know, That's right. it's all about, you know, it's all about giving back because I think all of us have a story to tell. None of us have lived like this perfect life. That's right. We've you all know, made mistakes. Amen. And we, let, we have to learn from our mistakes, right? And that can only make us uh, stronger and better people. Yes, I totally agree with you, Wendy. Totally agree with you. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about the Lee Foundation, where should they go? Um, they, should, they can go to our website. Mm -hmm at the leewayfoundation.com and then you'll see like on the leeway foundation you'll see our if we have a a logo it's black and it's in white lettering and then you'll see a whole bunch of children then you know you're on our foundation there is one that is just another foundation it's arts foundation so you have to make sure you put the leewayfoundation.com so you get to ours Perfect. And not, to, and not to the other one. Oh, perfect. And we will definitely post that for you so that people can be directed to the right foundation. Right. Listen, you, you, it's good to always give back, especially where, you know, to the locations or to the people that were good to you, right? And people that help you get to where you are. I find giving back is so important. So yes. that is that is fantastic advice. Really, it is. And I thank you so much. For, for coming on Courtside Moms. You're fantastic. It was a it was a great informative interview and it was fun. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for everything. It was a it was a wonderful um, conversation. I totally enjoyed it. And we will definitely do this again. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. You be blessed. You too. <laughs>